We pick back up right in God's Word where we left off last Sunday as far as uh, the storyline of things as we find ourselves in the book of 1 Kings. Last Sunday we were in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. There we saw uh, David coming toward the end of his life and his reign and giving sacrificially and freely as an abundant free will offering to the Lord from his own stores and leading the people and doing the same. And then here in 1 Kings, we find ourselves, uh, especially at the beginning of 1 Kings, we see the end of David's time on earth. You can turn in your Bibles to start to 1 Kings chapter 10. This will be really uh, somewhat of a, a survey of the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings. Uh, I promise that it, it won't be uh, as long as it might sound, thinking about 11 chapters of Scripture, right? Um, but uh, I have to tell you, I'm just going to be honest, this is one of those Bible stories looking at this morning that uh, when I heard it preached for the first time, Time, it pretty much instantly became one of my, my favorite stories. And that was, um, I think uh, it must have been, I think it was around 2018 that I first heard, uh, I heard David Platt preach a sermon on this story from 1 Kings 10. And in fact, over time, as I've read through God's Word um, each year for the last several years, uh, the book of 1 Kings itself has become one of, if not my favorite book of the Old Testament. And of the many ways in which God has empowered us to live for his kingdom, accomplish his mission, and be sanctified unto him, one of the primary things which he has given us is the ability to obtain knowledge and wisdom according to his word. And we see that here in the life of Solomon, the son of David, the next in the line, the one who uh, is spoken of in the Davidic covenant, uh, the immediate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, as we'll see. But in Solomon, we see the ability to obtain knowledge and wisdom according to God's word. Of course, the problem for us is our laissez-faire, lackadaisical approach to God's Word. We are too often satisfied with either no interaction with the Word or the tiniest bite-sized portions which often come from in, in the form of regurgitated devotions from others who have grown in wisdom. Now, I say that. Please don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with reading devotions. I certainly love reading and absorbing wisdom of those who have deeply studied God's Word and been impacted by it. However, that should never be our primary source of nourishment, to simply read one verse for the day and then uh, a lot about what somebody has to say about the verse. Those are good things to have just to, for encouragement or, or conviction or just uh, to supplement really, our intent study of the Word ourselves. So this morning as we read and unpack this, what really is a remarkable story, I want us to note three things. There's three things, kind of overarching things to take away this morning that we'll see as we move throughout the, the text and that help in our application of the text. First, I want us to notice the necessity of wisdom in all things, especially 
in declaring the glory of God. So the necessity of wisdom in all things, especially in declaring God's glory. And second, I want us to notice the contrast between the wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of the world. Okay, the, the clear contrast between the wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of the world. And then thirdly, I want us to note, okay, I'm going to use a word here, the stupidity of ignoring the wisdom of the Lord. And that, I use that word intentionally. Stupidity is to, to know of something but purposefully ignore. Ignorance, right, is to have no knowledge of what you don't know. Okay, so that, that's the literal use of the word there, all right? So kids, don't just run around throwing stupid out saying, Brother Blake said it, so I can say it too, okay? So, so I want us to note the, the stupidity of ignoring the wisdom of the Lord and how easily our flesh does so, okay? So I want to encourage all of us to stand once again as you're able in honor of the reading of God's word as we uh, read this first portion of text here from 1 Kings 10, starting in verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. So we're going to pause right there and we're going to come back. But this is the word of God. Let's pray, church. God, as we come before your word and we see the importance of wisdom, help all of us tune our hearts that we may firmly and fervently desire to gain a heart of wisdom, a mind of wisdom. But may it not be a knowledge which puffs up and builds up, but may it be a knowledge which leads us to repentance and to follow in obedience to you as, as members of your church seeking to make your name known and glorify your name among the nations. May we gain a heart of wisdom that leads to continual repentance and humility before you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. So real quick, I just want us to kind of, because First Kings is one of those books that uh, is not often preached through or taught about or really talked about, but the book of First and Second Kings provides us with a, a comprehensive look at Israel's monarchy following David's reign. All right, so as you move through First and Second Kings, that's kind of the focus there is to, to look at the entire monarchy following David's reign. First Kings is pretty much uh, almost wholly devoted to the reign of Solomon until you get to the second half of the book of First Kings. But the purpose of these books is for us to focus not on the kings themselves, but as we look at the monarchy, and as we see these different men elevated to the position of king, it's to, to focus us on the God who places those kings in power and who guides us to see that it is God who led the people in building the temple and it was God who oversaw the kingdom and the temple's demise. 
He both built it up and he was the one who oversaw its demise. And that's the, the focus of these books is to not to focus on the personality, but to focus on the providence of God in all of these things. So within this, there's two themes that really stick out as you move through the books of First and Second Kings. The first is that the people are still under obligation to the Mosaic Covenant. The law is still to be upheld. It's still to be sought after and looked to. As you'll see, many references to uh, Deuteronomy, and you'll see some of the similar language that we see in Joshua, and you'll see all of these things. So that the Mosaic Covenant still stands and is ruling the people. God's law still governs the people is one of the main themes here in this book. And number two is that they still await, the people still await the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And we'll, we'll focus on that toward the end of this morning's sermon. So one of the questions that we have to ask is, how does God equip us for the increase of his glory and to grow our delight in him? Right? Because it's, it's evident call throughout Scripture. He calls us to glorify his name, to make his name known among the nations. Right. So how does he equip us as his people to do so? And then, and at the same time, how does he grow us in our delight of him? Well, I want us to see here, before we dive into this morning's text and this incredible story that I've built up here, I want us to, to look back a little bit. So turn to chapter 2 here of 1 Kings. I want us to see here David's dying words to his son. All right? So as we look back and seeing how David equipped and informed his son for this moment. Because you remember last week, David prayed to the Lord knowing and saying that his son was young and that he wasn't necessarily quite ready to take on this responsibility all upon himself. And so that was David's motivation and wanting to get the offering going for the temple so that it would be funded and he could help his son in walking in obedience to the Lord in building the temple. So here's what we see in chapter 2 of Kings starting in verse 1. When David's time to die drew near... He commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So here, David, in his dying breath to his son, as he's preparing, as he says, to go the way of all the earth, he says, be strong and show yourself a man. And he says, keep the charge of the Lord your God walking in his way. So that phrase there, be strong, that's, again, reminiscent of what we see in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. So again, referencing back to the establishment, the, the continuation of the law. And then, in fact, he says that. Keep charge of the Lord your God. Walk in his ways, his statutes, his commandments, his laws, his rules, his testimonies, written in the law of Moses. 
And so he says that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke. So that the Lord may fulfill what he spoke to me concerning, and he refers back here to the Davidic covenant. So even to his dying breath, David was committed to governing God's people according to God's word. He knows his son Solomon is getting ready to be king after there was some, um, some hijinks by his other son, Adonijah, right before this in the first chapters here of 1 Kings. Adonijah tries, and then uh, we see Solomon's mother, um, uh, Bathsheba, come into the picture and say, David, Adonijah's trying to be king. Solomon's supposed to be the king, right? And so even to his dying breath, he wants his son to remain committed to the word of God. Why? So that God's word may be fulfilled in him. And so that the people can be led according to God's word. And so here he is on his literal deathbed, and his concern is that his son Solomon would adhere to the word, lead according to the word, that he may see the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And so I want to point you to your first point there on this morning's outline, which is to revere God's word is the key to indelible joy. Now, that word indelible, it means kind of impenetrable, undefiled. It, it endures, right? It can't be um, tainted. And so the question here is, is it wrong to want joy? Is it wrong to want to be happy? Is it wrong to desire fulfillment? No, right? But we err when we seek these things, when we seek joy and happiness and fulfillment outside of our creator. Thus, God has instructed us in his word to realign our sinful hearts to find joy in him. David's saying, continue to walk and uphold the Lord's testimonies as written in the law of Moses, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me. And that you will never cease to have one on the throne of Israel. And so the question for us, church, as we consider is to, to revere God's word is the key to indelible joy, a lasting joy, a, a fullness of joy. Do you find joy in possessions, people, or titles? All of these pursuits come from a heart that reveres our word, over God's word. When we seek to find our joy in things of this world, that comes from a heart that reveres our word over God's word. Consider these words of Solomon in Proverbs. So Solomon would go on, and he, we're going to see that here in a little bit, but he goes on to write many Proverbs of, of wisdom concerning the word. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 13 and 14. My son, and this is wisdom speaking, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So one time when I was home from college for the summer, I was working out in our backyard, and I noticed a bunch of things flying around this owl house that my grandparents had set up at, high up in a pine tree in the backyard, right? And so the closer I looked, the more I watched, I realized it was bees, right? And so there was a beehive that had built up in that 
owl house. And so uh, eventually we called some beekeepers and they came and, and brought the nest down in a not so graceful way, right? And so there were bees all over the backyard for like the next couple of days, right? Just going mad, going crazy. But when they initially brought it down, they got a huge chunk of honeycomb just dripping with honey, right? And I was like, what, what better time to taste honey on the comb? I'd never like chewed on honeycomb or anything like that. So I got it straight from, I mean, the bees had just been all around it, right? And I mean, it was so sweet to the taste. It, it hurt my feelings, right? I mean, that's like, that's how sugary and sweet this was to just chew on that honeycomb and be able to taste that fresh of honey. I mean, who needs pasteurization, right? So I mean, I'm just sitting there, and it's the best, to this day, best honey I've ever tasted. And some of you know I, I don't do sugar. I don't do sweets, desserts. I, I, I avoid all of that. So pretty much since 2019, so not my entire life. I'm not trying to build myself up like that, all right? So earlier this week, as I read that verse, Proverbs 24, my son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. First, I was reminded of that story right? And I decided, like, I haven't tasted honey in a long time. So I decided to taste some honey again to just kind of, kind of more relate to what this verse is telling us. And so I just put the slightest drizzle of honey on a carb balance tortilla, okay? And rolled it up. And, and I, I took a bite, okay? And, I, and it couldn't have been more than a teaspoon, but I'm telling you, church, my brain was like, oh, we remember what this is like, okay? And so it was just the smallest amount of honey, but it was so, so good and sweet. And the point here is know that wisdom is such to your soul. And so the desire for David, as far as he's, his dying breath, is that he and his son and the nation would live in such a way as to, to place God's word in the highest elevation of reverence so that everything they do is governed by that. And Solomon realizes this and he records, eat honey for it's good and the drippings of the honeycomb is sweet to taste. So just as that honey tastes so sweet, dripping off the comb, that is exactly what wisdom is like to your soul. And if you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. And so I want us to see, like, how does that continue to apply after, so David goes on to die here. And uh, how does that apply as Solomon's reign is established? So jump over to chapter 3 of 1 Kings here. So here at the beginning of chapter 3, we have some foreshadowing. Right? If you don't remember that from English class, it's like the, the author is telling us there's something wrong here. You don't quite know it yet, but there's something that's out of whack. And this is what we see here. So starting uh, just if you pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. Now, that's it right there. Just pay attention to that. People were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. 
Okay, so those high places are going to come to play a big role here a little later on in this story. So that's just some foreshadowing. We'll come back to that. But as we look here, pick back up there. So Solomon loves the Lord. He's walking according to the statutes of his father David. And he's sacrificing on these high places. Now the high places, these were uh, these open air temples of sorts, these places where people would go to uh, make sacrifices to the gods or just any god, right? And so this is, these are pagan worship places. But Solomon is allowing these places to remain. And instead, he's saying, we're going to worship the Lord here because the temple has not been built. But that's not how God has instructed in his word. So, but Solomon allows this to happen, okay? So that's some of the foreshadowing. So jump to verse 5. At Gibeon, this is one of these high places, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? So we're gonna, I want to pause right there because this, I think, can easily just be jumped over in this story. God comes to Solomon, and he gives him this open-ended question of what shall I give you? Ask. Just anything. Just open-ended question. Ask, what shall I give you? And so you would think that he's, he's been made king. So maybe he, he wants a great military so that he can make sure to rule all the surrounding nations. He, he wants a great wealth to build up the wealth because dad gave away all the wealth to build the temple, right? So we need to build up the, the wealth back up. But what... What does he ask for? So he, he says, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, verse 6, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne to this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So the Lord appears to Solomon, again, gives him this open-ended question, open-ended invitation to ask for whatever he may. And what's notable in this response is, again, he doesn't ask for any of the fleshly desires that might be, you know, creep up in a moment like this when God asks you, ask, what shall I give you? He doesn't ask for any of the things that would make him out to be an, an incredible ruler, to be revered in the eyes of the people. But instead, he begins with a statement of humility. He does not respond with a sense of entitlement, but rather he first marks God's past faithfulness. He says, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father. Okay, so he marks God's past faithfulness. Then he remembers the generational faith of his fathers because he, he saw his father. He grew up under his father's uh, care and leadership. And in fact, he had just heard the dying breath of his father to be to adhere to the word of the Lord. So you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love toward him. And so the third thing, he marks God's past faithfulness, remembers the generational faith of his father and reveres God's grace to bring him to this point. 
because he knows the Davidic covenant. His father reminded him of it in his dying breath. And so he realizes like, oh, God is fulfilling this in me. And that's the humility that he comes, that he opens up with before the Lord at the answer of this question, ask what shall I give you? And all of this, God's past faithfulness, generational faith of his father, the the reverence for God's grace, all of his promise by his word. This is where I want us to see six things. That's how your outline works out right there. We're going to see six things which occur when God's people revere God's word. All right? So six things which occur when God's people revere God's word. And we see the first one right here in this opening statement by Solomon because he hasn't even asked of the Lord what the Lord has told him to do. He's like, ask, what shall I give you? And he just opens with this incredible statement of praise and faithfulness of God. And so when God's people revere God's word, confidence abounds. And I might say, I didn't really see that there. Well, another way to put it is identity is sure, right? When we revere God's word, we have no need to wonder who we are, why we are here, or what we are to do. Rather, our confidence is found solely in our creator. For in God's word, we see that our creator is the one who determines our identity, our purpose, and our value. So Solomon responds to the Lord humbly, but confidently, based entirely upon who God is and what he has done and is doing. Because again, he, he even acknowledges of himself, he says, for I am young. You've, played, you've made your servant king, verse 7, in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. I don't know how to lead. But you've made me the servant. So the confidence is where? It's not in himself, but it's in the fact that he is acknowledging that God is the one who has placed him here. Therefore, God is the one who can empower him and equip him to do the task which he has laid before him to do. So if you lack confidence, if you lack identity or purpose, ask yourself, where are you attempting to find those things? Because for all the world's bloviating of identity and purpose, these are things which are clearly at a deficit in the world. So if you lack identity and purpose, quit seeking those things outside of your creator. So what does Solomon ask for here? So he expresses confidence by humbling himself before God as the one who has placed him here and as the one who can equip and empower him to accomplish this task. Verse 9, pick back up. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? So Solomon's request is to humbly plead with God that he would equip him with the necessary understanding, knowledge, and wisdom to govern God's people according to his word, accordingly, just as he witnessed his father David do. So here's what I want us to see. To humbly plead with God for those things which would edify ourselves and glorify him 
is to express complete confidence in him as the only one who can provide such joy-producing wisdom. It's to say, God, I'm lacking, so give me grace to grow in this or that, that I may glorify you. And so the next point on your outline is that when God's people revere God's word, pride withers. When God's people revere God's word, pride withers. When we revere God's word, we will have a proper fear of the Lord. We see that phrase throughout scripture, the fear of the Lord. And in fact, Solomon tells us over and over again throughout Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what does that mean? To fear the Lord is not to be afraid of God, but rather to have such a high view of the Lord that we fear life apart from him. This is why when we revere God's word, we must come to the end of ourselves. And that's what God's word helps us do. It brings us to the end of ourselves and it continuously elevates him to the position of highest honor and glory. So what was God's response then here to this God-glorifying humility from Solomon? What was God's response? Pick back up in verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall rise after you. So pause right there. So precisely because of Solomon's expressed humility and glorifying of the Lord, God says, because you didn't seek to say, build me up that I might be the best ruler ever, destroy all my enemies for me, give me a, a great army or give, restore all the riches to our kingdom. Because you didn't ask for that, I give you according to your word. And I'm going to give you a wise and discerning mind that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after. Pick back up, continue reading verse 13. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So did you catch that just now? So last week, we saw David sacrificially give to the Lord from both the wealth of the nation and his personal treasure. And do you remember what he said in, that is he, David, do you remember what David said in worshiping the Lord through that giving and that free will offering? David said in, I believe it was verse 12 of 1 Chronicles 29, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. And so now here 
the Lord blesses David's son Solomon, who was walking in obedience and reverence to the word, saying, I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So the Lord blesses Solomon's request for wisdom and shows that in doing so, he is blessed immeasurably more by doing that which is humbling to himself, withering of pride, and glorifying to the Lord's name. So when God's people revere God's word, the next point there on your outline, wisdom is obtained. Now, don't hear me saying this. I'm not saying that if we simply read God's word, adhere to God's word, and revere God's word, then God will appear to us in a dream and give us wisdom and the riches of Solomon. All right? That's not what I'm saying here. In fact, what God is doing here goes well beyond Solomon and points us straight to Jesus. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. So this is where wisdom is obtained. This is where wisdom is obtained. In revering God's word, humbling ourselves before his power and grace, and desiring to live a life glorifying his name. Wisdom is obtained in revering God's word, humbling ourselves before his power and grace, and desiring to live a life glorifying to his name. Solomon would go on to write this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. So Solomon's like, if you're wasting time pursuing anything else outside of wisdom stored in God's word, you've done exactly that. Wasted your life. If you seek to gain something, gain what God has made readily available to you through his word. Wisdom. What is Solomon's response to the Lord having told him of this? He worships. He worships. That's what we saw right there in verse 15. So he awakes from God having revealed that he's going to not only answer his requests and grant his requests, but he's going to give him riches beyond that. He's going to give what he didn't ask for. Solomon wakes up and he leaves the high place and he goes to Jerusalem and he stands before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and he offers up burnt offerings, peace offerings. So he offers up all these offerings and he makes a feast for his servants that they may fellowship and worship to the Lord. So when God's people revere God's word, God is glorified. And this is what it means to find indelible joy in revering God's word. So when we revere God's word, is the key to indelible joy. We find indelible joy in glorifying God in everything. Because God positions man for the increase of his glory. That's what we're seeing in Solomon's life right here. Is that God is not building Solomon up so that Solomon may be praised and elevated and revered among all the people as the great. But that through Solomon that the people would see that it is the Lord who has given him everything, who has elevated him to this position, who has given him and restored to him the riches that were sacrificially given, who has given him peace, who has allowed him to establish the temple that the Lord's name may be worshipped by his people. 
God positions man for the increase of his glory. And this is why we must think about our position in life, not in terms of what's next, not in terms of climbing the ladder, increasing our status, but in terms of how has God positioned me here and now for the increase of his glory. So in gaining wisdom from reverence of God's word, we gain perspective on our position in life. Parents, the challenge for us here is to consider how God has placed me, but dads, not just how God has placed me, but dads, to consider how God has placed us to lead our families with wisdom and insight and moms to consider how has God positioned and gifted you in your family, in your community, in your church. Kids, those who think mom and dad are simply out to squash your fun, get on to you all the time, and challenge uh, you on everything. Well, the real challenge for you is to consider how God has graciously put you under the loving care of your parents to help you better see his goodness and glory through them. Teenagers who can't wait to get out of the house, make your own rules, build your own life with all your wisdom and experience. The challenge for you is to consider how has God positioned you in this season to guard you and sanctify you for his glory. Church, whether you're grandparent, aunt, uncle, anyone else that I didn't just specifically list there, in between Everyone in between, how has God gifted you and placed you in our fellowship to serve his greater purposes and grow you in the wisdom of his word? How has he placed you at church, at, in, at work, in your families? Where, how has God placed you there to elevate his glory? And we see that as Solomon walks in obedience and, and establishing God's word and revering God's word and seeking joy in God's word and living according to it, what happens? Jump to chapter 4, verse 29, chapter 4. So we see uh, as we finish up chapter 3, we see Solomon builds out his officials and Solomon's wealth and wisdom begin to build just as the Lord said he would grant and he gains all of this um, cattle and all of these uh, stocks and, and barley and just a, a tremendous wealth beyond just monetary value, right? So verse 29 of chapter 4, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. So this is the granting of exact, the Lord fulfilling exactly what he said. And breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite and Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of, the nation, of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So did you see what God did 
by elevating Solomon. Again, God positions man for the increase of his glory. And so as Solomon's wealth grows, as his wisdom grows, and it grows, I mean, we see some guys called out here. He's like, yeah, you thought they were smart. Like Solomon was even smarter than Ethan the Ezraite. I mean, that guy, he got called out in the Bible, right? So like here, and he speaks of all these things, all these proverbs and all these songs. And people from every nation came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So the Lord glorified his name through the wisdom of Solomon. Like that's missions, church. That's what God drawing the nations to himself. So again, the wisdom of Solomon has nothing to do with Solomon and everything to do with elevating the glory of the Lord. And so it is with all that God grants and gifts us with. Whether it be riches or honor, wisdom, that all the gifts that God has given you and created you with and built you with and is growing within you have nothing to do with you and everything to do with elevating the glory of the Lord. And so this continues to build. And we have the preparations for building the temple. Solomon builds the temple, and then he builds his own uh, palace. And he jumped there to our text, verse 10. Again, this, this story, because we see the continuation of this. And we have the blessing of the temple. I, I had to skip over a lot of good stuff here, but I, wa I want us to get here to chapter 10. So, Pick back up chapter 10, verse 1, as we read earlier. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. So she's coming, and her desire is to show, like, who does Solomon think he is? Like, I'm going to go show him. I'm going to test him with questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue. So a retinue that's just an assembly of advisors and, and wise folks. And just like she comes with her whole council, right? And she's like, I'm going to show this guy Solomon that not only is he not wise, but his, his Lord is not Lord, right? With camels bearing spices. So like think of that scene in Aladdin, right? Prince Ali, right? Like, so he's marching in and she's trying to show off all of her wealth. She's trying to show off how wise she is by bringing all of this retinue, right? She wants to really flex on Solomon here. And she told him all that was on her mind, like everything. She threw everything she had at him. And what do we see here. I want, to, I want to pause right there in verse 2 before we continue verse 3. I want us to see the next point there on your outline is that when the people of God revere the word of God, opposition intensifies. So she hears that the Lord is getting this glory. She hears how smart Solomon is and she can't stand it. She's like, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm going to go and show that your Lord is not the Lord, and I'm going to show that you're not as wise as everybody else says that you are. So when, when the people of God revere God's word, opposition intensifies. God's people are in direct opposition to the world by nature. That's us. So it stands to reason that as we grow in the wisdom made available to us in God's word, 
we will see opposition intensify. Job was considered blameless before the Lord. And this was the very reason he was offered up to be brought low. Because we are of no interest to the enemy when we are consumed with the wisdom of the world and following our own word. So many people are eager to blame their plight on the enemy. Satan's out to get me, right? No, he's not. You haven't read your Bible in a year, okay? So he's not worried about you because he has you listening to your word rather than God's word. But when the people of God revere the word of God, opposition intensifies. So how do we respond? I want to read you this quote first from John Piper. He says, I'm astonished at people who say they believe in God, but live as if happiness is found by giving him 2% of their attention. And how we, that, that should convict us because we, 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 I mean, some of us might be computing in our head, what's my percentage, right? Right? Whatever it is, is not enough. So what does it look like when we actively live in opposition to the world by walking according to the wisdom of God? Pick back up in verse three. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And so, what, so that's not even the best part of this story, okay? So when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, so he answers every question. She's like kind of overcome by that. The house that he built, so she sees all of his wealth and success that the Lord has granted. The food on his table, right? The seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants. So like, like even your servants are treated well and well off here. That's, that's, that's what's on her mind. Their clothing, his cupbearers, his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. So she sees him living out the faith that he professes in worshiping the Lord. It literally takes her breath away. There was no more breath in her. And so this is her response to that. Verse six. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. So not only was what I hear was true, but it didn't even do justice to what I've seen and heard. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Verse 8. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. And don't miss this part, church. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set on you the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Did you catch what happened there? A pagan queen who had the very intentions of dishonoring God and showing out Solomon ends up praising God at hearing his wisdom and seeing what the Lord had done in the kingdom. And not only that, but all that stuff that she brought to try to show how great her wealth was, she's like, here, take it. Just take it all. It's, it's yours. 
Like this, this is what it looks like to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. Is that when, when people see how we are living and worshiping God with the wisdom that we have as we seek him in his word and daily cry out to him in prayer to grow and to give us grace for those areas where we have not grown enough and that we seek him to seek out what is the position you've given me in life and how can I make sure I'm using that to glorify you? Worship increases. That's the next point there on your outline. Is that not only are we brought to worship, because that's what Solomon does here, but our testimony bears witness to the one we worship. And so, as the Lord uses our testimony, he brings others to worship him and to find their joy in revering his word. To revere God's word is the key to indelible joy. And let me show you why. Because this, the, these first 12 chapters first 11 chapters of 1 Kings tell us a story of two different Solomons. first 11 chapters tell us a story of a Solomon who reveres God's word. The next, 12 chap- the next chapters following that show us a completely different story. Pick back up chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. So he... No prejudice. He just, he, he loved women, all right? Verse two, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place, There's those high places again. For Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. So to revere God's word is the key to indelible joy. But the final point there on your outline is to compromise God's word is the key to indelible sorrow. I want to read you this quote from Thomas Watson. He writes on the doctrine of repentance. Knowledge without repentance will be but a torch to light the way to hell. So how can someone so wise, literally blessed with wisdom from God himself, end up compromising God's word and acting so foolishly? The same question could be asked of us. Here we have the very same wisdom. And Solomon's words of wisdom is, get it. Man cannot keep God's law. And in fact, that's what's continuing to be revealed in the story of Solomon. So what God was doing in Solomon and through the disobedience of Solomon was not pointing 
to a king who would be the answer. But he was pointing yet again to the fact that Solomon was not the ultimate answer. He was the initial fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. But just as David was not the answer, nor Saul, Moses, or Abraham, both Solomon's wisdom and foolish point us to the fact that he was but the initial fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. But that in Jesus comes the true fulfillment. And so the answer for us, church, if you want wisdom, if you want identity and purpose and value and want to show true reverence for God's word and you want to elevate the glory of the Lord, get wisdom by seeking Jesus. That is the answer. The author of Hebrews in closing tells us this in Hebrews chapter 2. That it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. And he says, it has been testified somewhere, and this was by David, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. That's Jesus. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. If you want wisdom, if you want identity, purpose, value, seek Jesus. And Solomon's wisdom to us is get wisdom. Let's pray, church. God, we love you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk according to your word. To seek wisdom by submitting to the work of Christ on the cross. To not Seeking a knowledge which builds up and puffs up, but a knowledge which leads to repentance. And then, Lord, that we may consider in wisdom, that as wisdom, as we grow in wisdom, that you give us perspective. So help all of us to consider the position that you have given each of us in life. That we may use the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you've given us to elevate and glorify your name. For your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.